This episode is presented to you by the Medical Coding Geek Tutoring Network. We're not just about the funny medical coding memes you see on social media. We're also a growing network of experienced, specialized, and credentialed professionals. We do not offer prep courses or education programs. Rather, we offer focused, one-on-one tutor sessions that will give you what you exactly need to help you pass your exam. We offer tutoring for the CCS, CPC, RHIT, RHIA, and CDI certification exams. If you want to find out if our tutoring services is what you need to progress in your career, go to medicalcodinggeek.com. Also, we're looking to grow our network of tutors. If you're interested in joining our team, go to medicalcodinggeek.com. This is Stacy Buck, and you are listening to Not Elsewhere Classified. You are listening. You are listening. You're listening to Do Not to Not Elsewhere. Not Elsewhere. Elsewhere. Elsewhere Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number six. The first thing I want to announce is our podcast has been downloaded over 5,000 times. This could not have happened without you, the listeners. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, I want to welcome you. We have a great lineup of guests from medical coding, HIT, and CDI industries. The best thing you can do is subscribe to our podcast so you can immediately know when the next episode is available. If you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and a review. Last episode, we announced our Facebook group, Medical Coding Geeks, surpassed 7,000 members. Well, this past week, our Not Elsewhere Classified podcast community group has finally reached a humble 200 members. Want to join our free groups? Just go to medicalcodinggeek.com. Most recently, I got an email this past week that AHIMA is currently searching for their next chief executive officer. Who thinks I should submit my resume? No, I'm just kidding. But I do have a question for you all. If you became the next CEO of AHIMA, what would be the first thing you would do? If you want to answer that question, please call our hotline, our voicemail hotline at 813-444-8345 and share what you would do. You can also record your response and email it to necpodcast at medicalcodinggeek.com. Again, that's necpodcast at medicalcodinggeek.com. Your responses will be shared on a future episode of the podcast. Today, we have Stacy Buck. Stacy is the president and senior consultant at RadRx. She is a subject matter expert in the area of interventional radiology and also diagnostic radiology. She is a national speaker who has presented over 200 webinars and seminars. That means she loves to talk. In this episode, we cover a wide variety of topics. We discuss her transition from corporate to consulting. We got into overseas outsourcing and how it has affected her company. We talk about her move into interventional radiology, which led to her creating RadRx. And of course, we have some more. So without further ado, here's my interview with Stacy Buck. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
everybody. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified. Uh, we are here, <laughs> finally. Uh, I have a wonderful guest by the name of Stacy Buck. Hello, Stacy. How are you? I'm great, Brian. How are you? I am good. Um, it's wonderful to have you. Uh, just to give the audience an idea how we connected, uh, primarily was on was on Facebook. Um, but I, the reason, well, I knew you before I kind of introduced myself to you, uh, because in our Facebook group, uh, Medical Coding Geeks, there were a couple questions on interventional radiology. And one of our members just kept on posting these questions. She said she was studying for the, uh, the credential. And I said, you know what? I know the person. I know the best person who can help you out. I know the best person who has a co- uh, a book. I believe is called uh, "Cracking the Code," and I and I the reason being is because I spoke at the uh, FHIMA uh, conference, the uh, Florida Health Information Management Association conference, not this past year but the previous year. Um, and I noted you, you know, your, your setup there. <laughs> I knew you were doing interventional radiology. And I'm like, gosh, what's her name? I know the company name. I know it has rad in it. Uh, and I researched it. I found it. I posted it in the group. And then once I posted it in the group, I'm like, well, geez, she would be a great guest. I'm sure there's a lot of questions on interventional radiology uh, that she can talk about. And, you know, and then here you are today. Here I am after we both survived Hurricane Irma. I know. How, so how was that for you? Were you okay? I know you live a little bit north in Florida. I actually was very good. I was one of the fortunate few who did not lose power at my house. I had power, internet, all the comfort. So I know people were hating on me a little bit because yeah. I had all that. But I invited people over. So, hey, I wanted to share that with everybody. So it was it was good where I was at. Yeah, uh, and and for me, for me, I mean, I was in the hospital because my wife was working uh, the A team. She was working during the storm. We were in the conference room. Once we got out, there was no power. Uh, at least for us, for maybe two days, we were okay. But our power was out two days before that, even the st- before the storm really started. And then after oh, that, wow. I was out for like out of internet for two weeks. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. So, internet, no internet. Yeah, and and no internet with kids. It's it's a total, <laughs> it's a different <laughs> ball game. So we had to, you know, we had to go through the old ways of, hey, let's go out, let's go biking, let's <laughs> let's go somewhere, <laughs> and you know, to to kind of detoxify everyone off of the internet, including myself. But thank God, uh, everything is okay over here. I live further south from you. I think you're in the West Palm Beach, a little bit north of there. I'm a little bit further sure. south, uh, a little bit north of Miami, just in case anybody is wondering. But we're all okay. We're all survivors. All right. Okay. So but let's let's go ahead and get started. So bef- uh, what I always do is in the beginning, I we want to know more about Stacy Buck. So can you tell the audience about yourself and tell the audience where you came from and what you're, you know how you came to be. Okay, well, I guess I'll jump in and talk about my entry into health information management. Um, Like most people, I kind of just fell into it as a career. It's something that I didn't even know that it existed. Um, I actually had, you know, in high school, had toyed around with the idea of being like an attorney, 
then I did career shadowing one day in a civil court of law, and I hated it, and it was so boring. So I took that off the table because I knew I didn't want to be a criminal attorney, and civil was boring. And um, I wanted to teach, actually. I always wanted to be a teacher. That was actually, like, my number one passion. And my plan was to go to, um, you know, college, get a bachelor's degree in business administration, and then go teach high school. Well, then you graduate high school, you get to that point, and you're looking at your earning prospects, and I'm like, gee, high school teachers in Florida don't make a heck of a lot of money. So that was kind of like a wake-up call. And interestingly enough, I entered um, Florida Atlantic University back in 1992 um, with that goal of getting my degree in business administration. And right away, I got a temp job at the surgery center right next to FAU. And I was helping out in medical records. And this was supposed to be a temporary thing. Well, the temporary thing became permanent. But the fascinating thing to me was that I learned that you could get a degree in this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You need a degree to, like, work in medical records and, like, file papers? Um, I was one of those people, like, we've all dealt with, like, early on in our careers. Like, seriously, you need a degree to do that? Um, Not really understanding everything that was involved. So just by working there and seeing what was involved in medical records and the potential there and the possibility, you know, beyond those entry-level jobs, I thought to myself, why don't I go for a more specialized business degree? Because the problem that I was seeing back then was that a lot of people were graduating with four-year business degrees and they couldn't get a job. You know, it's a very generic degree, and I saw that that was a problem, and I'm like, let me go for something a little bit more specialized. I'm like, I'm already working in it, so I think this will work better for me for um, job prospects. And it did, and it worked out tremendously for me. Um, just starting out as a file clerk and then working my way, um, you know, through the ranks. And I ended up going a more non-traditional role over the years. I spent the first six years of my career working in medical records. And then when I graduated from Florida International University. Hey, that's where I graduated from. Yeah, a fellow alumni there. Um, When I I graduated from there in 1998, I went to work for HCA Healthcare as a revenue analyst, and that was an unusual position for an RHIA to have at the time. Um, It was a corporate position. I actually worked for the corporate office, but they placed me in a facility in Margate, and every other person that held that position in the company, they were all nurses. I was the only RHIA, so that was very interesting, and what was cool about that is I could learn from the nurses, the clinical piece, and then they could pull for me about the coding and compliance piece. Um, so it really made like a nice, you know, combination to be able to network with them. And then once I left that job, and this now is where I get my entrance into the world of radiology, I went to work for a company called U.S. Diagnostic, which used to be one of the largest providers of diagnostic imaging services in the country. And I was their first and only internal auditor auditing at that time, I think, for 80-something imaging centers. Um, So that was a huge, huge deal. And then within a year, I got promoted to their corporate compliance officer, which was pretty awesome because it had become my dream to become a corporate compliance officer. And then after that, I did a few other things which aren't worth mentioning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was one of those things where the company ended up closing down, and so our jobs came to an end, and then we're just kind of thrust out into the world to find something else to do. Um, so tried my hand at a couple other things that I wasn't really into, still in the HIM space, but 
wasn't really my thing. And then fortunately, um, someone that I had worked with at U.S. Diagnostic, who had been the vice president of operations, um, whose office had been right next to mine, he had called me up and he's like, I want to start a radiology billing company. He's like, and he, at this time, he owned some imaging centers. So he's like, I want to take back the billing from the billing company and I want to do it. I want to bring you on board to help me, you know, with this billing company, have you as a partner in the company and help me kind of manage the centers. And I'm like, this is really cool. Now, the funny thing about this was that I had, when I worked with him at U.S. Diagnostic as the compliance professional, I was the one like sending out all the compliance directives, telling all the managers what they had to do. Well, all the managers around the country reported to him, the VP of operations. So the joke with him always was, Stacy, as soon as you hit send on your email, my phone is ringing off the hook. People would call him and complain about me and all of these requirements that I was putting on them as a compliance person. And so it kind of came full circle that while we used to butt heads when we worked at that company, when he wanted to do his own thing, you know, he came and he sought me out. Now, we always got along good. I'm not saying that, you know, we had a contentious relationship or anything. We got along fine when we worked together. But, you know, you understand with compliance and other people who are listening are going to understand that compliance will butt heads with operations. That is not uncommon in our field because there's compliance versus what they want to do from a practical operations perspective. They don't like extra steps, extra work, and so on. So anyway, went to work for him and was there for about probably three years we were working together. And then he decided, I've had enough of healthcare. I want to get the heck out of it. I'm done with it. So he went to pursue photography full time, and oh, he's geez. making more money. He's making more money in photography than he ever did in healthcare. Really? So kudos to him. Kudos yeah. to him that he can do that. And then with me at that time, I'm like, oh, what do I do? I'm like, do I go find another job? You know. Um, so I just decided to forge forward on my own. So since 2008, I've been completely solo doing consulting. Um, I did have. Um, you know, a couple of clients that I had been working with at that company that I was able to kind of bring along with me. So I didn't start from scratch. I didn't start from any, um, you know, from nothing, but it wasn't a whole lot. So it took me um, just building on that base and going forward. So that's next month will be officially nine years um, that I've had my own consulting business and I just absolutely you know, love it. So kind of to bring the story full circle, what's so cool is that I always wanted to be a teacher. That was like my passion. And now I get to be a teacher as a consultant. I love teaching. It's my favorite thing to do. And I get paid very well to teach. And I have a captive audience. You know, coders want to learn. You know, if I were to taught in high school, I can't even imagine what I'd be fighting today. Like, seriously, I think about that. So it's nice to be in front of an audience that wants to learn, they're hungry to learn, and get paid well to do something that you enjoy. So me just falling into this career, I couldn't have, I don't think, planned it any better, where it just, it was like fate. It just happened. There it was, and I walked right into it, and I've loved every minute of it. This podcast is brought to you by the Haugen Consulting Group. Having troubles with your external cost codes? <coughs> external cost codes can be a mystery to solve when you are trying to figure out the details of the events leading to the patient coming to the hospital. Luckily for you, the Haugen Consulting Group are offering two separate educational webinars on October 18th 
and October 19th for facility and pro-fee medical coders. Sign up to receive indexing search tips and tricks that will help you reference the ICD-10-CM Chapter 20 codes with ease. Listeners of this podcast will exclusively receive a 15% discount. How you ask? Go to thehaugengroup.com slash shop and use the promo code GEEK15. Again, go to www.thehaugengroup.com slash shop and use the promo code GEEK15. That's G-E-E-K-1-5. Initially, you wanted to be an attorney, right? So, so you mentioned you did some experience in there. So, what what specifically in that experience you meant? To, you mentioned civil courts or something like that. Um, what was it that kind of turned you off from that profession? I wanted to do something in the realm of business law. I kind of got that inspiration in 10th grade when I went to the Future Business Leaders Association of America Uh competition, and I won third place in business law without Uh doing a lot of studying. I was like, ooh, maybe I found something here, Um, (laughs) and got to go to the state competition. And so I'm like, maybe business law is the thing for me. Um, I like to argue, so that was a given. Attorneys <laughs> argue. I'm, I'm a natural at that. Okay. Um, but it was for career shadowing, I got to shadow a judge. I did, they couldn't find an attorney for me. And when I had to sit in a civil court of law, which is what you would be doing in business law, um, I was bored, like in the courtroom. I was bored sitting in, you know, depositions. It just didn't do anything for me. So it totally turned me off from that. But I will say one cool thing about what I do now um, is that I get to be an expert witness. I've served as an expert witness in several different cases, which is so cool because I get to act like I'm an attorney, you know, arguing my side of the case, you know, about, you know, the coding guidelines, the coding rules, and poking holes in people's arguments and trying to defend people. And that is probably the most fun I have in my work when I get on those cases and I'm able to actually... Um, you know, engage in that, you know, argument and improving, you know, my case. It's fun. You get paid to argue. I'm like, this is so cool. So when you when you say you're you're part of the court, you're not exactly like a expert witness per se, or you're part of the uh, the counsel team that pre- prepares for, you know, those cases. Is that what you're talking about? Well, I would say, I mean, expert witness, I have done a deposition. Um, A lot of work that I do is behind the scenes where I'm helping the attorneys prepare their documents, prepare their arguments. One time I was deposed by government attorneys. That was very interesting. Um, I was actually defending, working for the defense for the provider that was being looked at for fraudulent and abusive billing practices. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a very interesting experience to say the least. All right. So at least you have some, some, you know, at least a hand in the judicial system in your experience and what you do. All right. So you went to FAU and then you went to do surgery, uh, doing the medical records there. Then you found yourself in 1998 at FIU, um, doing the medical records, uh, or HIM at the time, and then you from you grad. So 
as soon let me ask this question when you when once you finished FIU at 1998 how how long afterwards did you obtain your RHIA that was immediately after that was back in the like old days when it was the RRA oh gosh not the really RRA, not the, not the RHIA and that exam was only offered once a year in October oh no so you better have your butt in that room <laughs> take it in October otherwise you were waiting a whole nother year so I think it was maybe like two years later I think they changed it to the RHIA and then eventually they started doing like the year-round testing but yeah that was RRA and it was once a year oh, in 1998. Yeah. Right. So I'm old school. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's interesting because um I've I've interviewed people who had the ART um and, and I'm like my goodness, right. I don't even know what that is and <laughs> you know the records <laughs> technician and you know it's interesting enough to see where that transition was made in the 2000s. Now I came into uh Florida International University and I mean, when you finished, I started. So I came in to FIU at 1998. So at some point, we were passing each other <laughs> when you finished. We probably and, just missed each other, yeah. Yeah, and, and I just came in. And then um, I got into the program, uh, which, by the way, if anybody's wondering, it's no longer there due to budget reasons. Um, I, I got in there, I think, 2001. So by that time already, I think they made that big transition into yes. more of a health information versus the medical records type of mindset. And you see that happening in the industry where they were changing it from medical records. And now it's now called the health information management department. And now they're changing it to health information technology. And, you know, you see the full evolution at that point. Um, so I finished in 2003. Uh, got my RHIA in 2004, just to give you an idea, you know, of where, you know, you say you, you got your RRA, I got my RHIA, and you see that big um, that big transition there. I like to do a little bit of a history lesson, and whenever I t- do these interviews, and just to give an idea of what the progression is in the profession. Now, you went from, uh, you went from, uh, you moved into HCA, you did revenue an- analysis, now, when you went into radiology, was this something that it fell on your lap and you're like, you liked it? Or is was this something you were trying to pursue? Radiology was not something I was trying to pursue. What I was trying to pursue was getting out of my job I had for HCA, desperately trying to pursue that. So I was looking at anything and everything I possibly could to get out of that job because I didn't really enjoy it. Um, I did it for a year and it just wasn't... Um, my thing. What I there were two things that I main things I was doing in my role at HCA for people who are like, what the heck is a revenue analyst and w- what do you do? Because those positions are still out there. Basically, I had two functions. One is I was doing laboratory compliance audits for them because you those have been around for many many years. You probably remember HCA getting into trouble with the fraud and abuse, and then you know the settlement with the government and all that. So they had the laboratory compliance program. So I was, you know, responsible for doing those audits and making sure they were staying compliance. That was one function, which I loved because that's HIM, that's coding, that's my thing. What I didn't like and what I spent most of my time doing was actually doing charge audits, not coding audits. And it is not fun to sit down with an itemized bill that is $100,000 and try to account for every little widget and pill in that medical record, whether or not it's documented. 
So, and I can see why all those people who were doing that were nurses and not RHIAs because there are things that me, never having been a clinical person, I didn't intuitively know where a nurse intuitively knew. And so that's why I had to rely on the nurses to kind of help me out with some of those things. It's not that you can't learn it, but there was definitely a learning curve for me in that. But it was just so tedious, like day in and like day out, and I just knew that it wasn't for me. So um, the job at U.S. Diagnostic, it was just one of those things. I'm like, hey, let me go apply for this. I've been doing laboratory auditing. This is diagnostic radiology auditing. You know, I think this is something that I'm going to like. And it turned out that I loved it. Um, I took that job in 2000. So I've been working in the radiology space now for 17 years. Um, you know, stepped out of it briefly for about a year when that company, um, you know, went out of business, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, other than that, for, you know, 17 years, it's been, you know, all, all radiology. I started out doing diagnostic radiology. And then 10 years ago, I started getting into interventional radiology. Okay. Um, so at what point did you decide to get your certification? I believe it's the C C I R C C. Is that correct? Correct. That's what the certification is now through AAPC. When I initially got certified for interventional radiology coding, AAPC was not offering this credential. There's another company called Medical Asset Management that for years had been offering a CIC, Certified Interventional Coder, and that is what I sat for and took in 2007. So that was when I got credentialed. And then what happened was that company made a deal with AAPC to suspend offering their credential and then join forces with AAPC. AAPC, cre- yeah, AAPC created the CIRCC, and then they said, well, grandfather everybody in who has a CIC. Um, you know, that, that's what they did um, with that. So I know that confuses some people because they're like, well, APC has a CIC. I'm like, yes, but they didn't have one for years. That's a new one. So all these acronyms and credentials, they get so confusing. But, yeah, so APC, I think I want to say, started offering the CIRCC in 2008 or 2009. Before that, it was this other private company that we were all getting certified through. Hey, guys, I recently signed up for my free 30-day Audible trial. With my 30-day trial, I received a free audiobook just for signing up. There were so many titles to choose from, but I decided on American Assassin by Vince Flynn. This book introduces you to Mitch Rapp and the journey in his beginnings as a super agent. I didn't realize that this was a part of a larger series of Mitch Rapp adventures, and I look forward to listening to more. Plus, I think the book was way better than the movie, but don't tell my teenage daughter who is obsessed with Dylan O'Brien. Anyways, to get your free 30-day trial and a free audiobook, go to to audibletrial.com slash NEC podcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash NEC podcast. So for the listeners, just, just in case you're hearing all of these letters, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, uh, C, I, R, C, C is the interventional radiology. So she mentioned the C, I, C, which was previously the interventional radiology or you know interventional radiology credential. Uh, what's currently now the CIC, I believe, is the inpatient 
uh, coding credential. So Correct. yeah, so they transitioned that. I guess maybe they eyeballed that. Said mm, maybe we could use that some <laughs> at some point. Let's uh, <laughs> let's take that and let's change it to another one. CIRCC. Take the CIC and make that the inpatient one. I guess maybe that's a little bit of their foresight on their part. All right, cool. All right, so. Um, so then you worked for U.S. Diagnostics. Then you went to work for the some be a partner in a radiology billing company. Then you decided to do it on your own. Now I think a lot of people are very interested in that. So when you decided, hey, um, I'm going to do it on my own. Is this where uh, Rad RX came to be? Correct. Correct. Okay. That is um, how RadRx came about. I was already doing some like independent consulting, like on my own, like off and on, um, you know, under another name. And then I just, I was trying to do multi-specialty and kind of branch out. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm like, I really don't want to do other specialties. Um, I had a full-time job that had me dabbling in other specialties. One of those jobs I don't even want to mention. Okay. Um, <laughs> no problem. Because it's, it's not really, yeah, it's not really, you know, it, there are certain pieces of my career I like to erase. Let's just put it that way for different reasons. Um, but I just knew that radiology was my passion and I wanted to stick with it. So rather than having a generic name, I'm like, let me do a DBA. And I'm like, and I came up with the name RadRx. It's just one of those things that hit me with the tagline being your prescription for accurate coding and reimbursement. So obviously RAD standing for radiology and then RX, of course, being the prescription. So that just hit me out of the blue one day. And then for those who are wondering what DBA means, what does DBA mean? That is a doing business as... And Brian, I know you're familiar with that because you have a DBA. Yes, medical coding geek. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, I mean, there's an interesting story into that. I'm like, well, you know, nobody wants to buy into Brian Kui, private medical coding tutor. You just kind of, it doesn't work yeah. that way. So yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't want to go with my name either because you see other people with their name and like their <laughs> consulting firms, and I just didn't want to do that. I'm like, I don't even like my last name, uh-huh. so I'm not going to name my company after it. And then if you, you know. That's say if, but when I get married, I'm still hopeful that mm-hmm. I'm going to find that person, hopefully okay. marry Rich, and then I can retire. There you go. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you consider things like that, too. I'm like, nah, I didn't want to name it after myself. So you, you primary, this, this, com- this company of your own, you primarily do it by yourself. Is, is there any other, any other people that you have involved in RadRx? I do have other people that work for me. Um, as far as doing the auditing and the education, I personally do all the audits, all the education. Um, I have independent contractors that work for me all over the country. Um, so I have people who are experienced in diagnostic radiology coding, interventional radiology coding, and they're really the ones that focus more on the coding functions, any outsource coding um, you know, that comes into us from clients. And then I have one that, you know, helps me out a little bit with auditing if I have like a lot of encounters or I need a second look on things. Um, but I'm the one who writes all the audit reports, finalizes everything and does all the education. But I do have people spread out in various locations who are actually doing diagnostic radiology coding and interventional radiology coding for the yeah, company. That's interesting. So, you know, you, you pretty much start off as yourself and then you find other people who can uh, be the branches of your company, 
right, to help spread things out. And then they trickled things back into you, uh, you know, so that because you're pretty much the face of the company, your face is, <laughs> your face is on Facebook for, for RadRx. So that's, you know, it's, exactly. it's just a pointing, you know, uh, you know a, 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 a focal point of who, who they're going to deal with, right? It's and, more uh, personal than just having like a logo or something, you yeah. know, like, I've seen different people talk about Facebook branding and what you should have on a page, and they recommend that it should be a person and a face, and I'm like, okay, I'm like, then I'll put my face on there, so anyway. Yeah, that's interesting, because you mentioned that is, you know, the reason I do this podcast is because there's a lot of people who hide behind the company, right? And I'm like, well, you know, who, you know, when you hear company names, and usually you see logos, that's all you see. There's even people, you know, who... Who who identify who put logos as their Facebook page? I'm like, you know, that's that's you know, I want to know the person, and I think when you understand the person where they're coming from, um, it makes it more personable, more humanizing in that aspect. Now, I was listening earlier uh, to a po- to a podcast. Uh, it's called the Startup. I don't know if you ever listened to it, but um, there was a you know just just a, just just today, and I was listening to it. And normally, people who are new into their startup or into their company. And when they're looking for people uh, to invest in their company, those investors are not necessarily investing in the company, but they're more investing in the person who's riding the horse, you know, the person who is dealing with that. So, you know, I think it's important, especially if you're trying to establish a brand, I think it's more important when you establish yourself behind the brand. You know, who's the person who's just pushing these these ads out? You know, are they just more than just people just advertising this and that? I want to know the real person. And that's usually pretty much the reason why I started the podcast is because, you know, I know they do a good job. I know they're professionals. They do um, great specialized work. But who are they? You know, I'm sure that question always comes out. Who is this person? Who's Brian? Who's Stacy? You know, I want to know who it is, you know, and what they what they're all about. Maybe I can grow up to be like them at some point <laughs> in my life, you know, and, you know, it, it, and, and, and sometimes when you listen to people like you and I talk together, uh, it, it's like, you know, when you think of somebody like a CEO, you know, now I'm talking to CEOs, but now when you listen to one, like my last interview was with a CEO of a consulting group. And I'm like, you know, when you talk to that person, it didn't seem like it, the person was a CEO. It was seems like like a real person. And so when you make things more personable in these aspects, I think, you know, it will help drive your business much better than just, hey, look, here's my logo. Here's my business. Here's my business card. Let's do business. And I said, well, you know, okay, but I don't even know who you are. You know, it's even the same regard to, to trying to get a job, you know, is that, well, I need a job, but then who are you? You know, I've always said that, but it's always to know who the person is before you, pre- you know, present the opportunity. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I actually find it interesting. I mean, I've been doing this for like, you know, many, many years. And, you know, my name has been known across the country for like many years. And it's funny that people can always, oh, Stacy Buck, you got to talk to Stacy Buck. She's the one she's, do you think people can remember the name of my company? They don't really remember the name of the company. They just remember Stacy Buck. Oh, I heard her speak. Oh, I saw her here. Um, Oh, I know her from this. So I mean, for me, I could call my company anything. People would still say, look up Stacy Buck, I think. Just um, because of that, because you have that presence, and I think that that does bring a lot of people to you if you go out and you establish those connections and you make those connections and people can see you and interact with you. I think that's huge 
you know, for a business. Like even me, like with my clients, it's like I tell them, you're not signing on with a big company where you have to go through layers of people or, you know, wonder if you can get a hold of somebody who's going to solve your problem. I'm like, you pretty much have 24-7 access to me, the owner of the company, for any concern, you know, that you possibly could have. And so I know some people look at the small company, and I've had people pass and say, you're too small. I don't think that, you know, your company can handle, you know, what we've got. And I reassure them, and they decide to go the other way. And that's fine if you want to go with that big corporate entity. But there's also a dis- disadvantages, as you all know, to going with that big corporate entity. So everybody has to go with what they feel comfortable with. But I just, you know, like the fact that I am that small person and that I can be available and I can take care of things right away. And some people like the fact, you know, they prefer that. Okay, you are smaller, but I'm going to go with you because I know I'm going to have access to you and you're going to do a good job. Me, I'm invested in keeping my clients happy because if they're not, they're going to leave me. You know, the smaller guy, you know, can't afford to lose a client like the multi-million dollar company. You know what I'm saying? They're not really that invested, like, you know, billing companies. And I, I don't mean to bash the billing company industry. I, you know, there, there are good ones out there. But just from my experience in the industry and um, in briefly working for a company, one of the ones I said I didn't want to talk about and seeing the tactics and the practices that they use to land clients and then not fulfill their obligations and just kind of, you know, go for volume and not really give the quality, you know, is very – you know, disheartening, you know, there's a lot of that out there. And if they do lose a client, it doesn't phase them. They go on and they go to the next person and they just keep reeling them in. So, you know, that's just a big difference there. I think the personalization versus getting lost in that corporate structure, which is something that, you know, for me, I don't need to be the big giant. I don't really want to be the big giant because then you can't control and manage all that in the way that you would want to. This podcast is brought to you by accessadoctor.com. Access a doctor when you need it most. How would you like to have quick and easy access to licensed doctors 24 hours a day, 7 days a week? Instead of scheduling an appointment to see a doctor or going to the emergency room or urgent care, you simply make one phone call and a doctor will provide you with a consultation, diagnose your medical problem, and even call in a prescription to your local pharmacy. Some of the conditions that can be treated using accessadoctor.com include cold and flu symptoms, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, allergies, skin infections or rashes, and even eye and ear infections. Listeners of this podcast can get a discount on their single and family membership plans for unlimited medical consultations by going to accessadoctor.com and using our promo code Geek, that's G-E-E-K, upon signing up. Again, that's accessadoctor.com. And the promo code is geek, G-E-E-K. Okay. So a question that, that pops in my head right away is, do you see, I guess, the the healthcare industry going in a direction where they're using smaller companies versus larger corporations? to outsource? Um, well, the trend that I see that troubles me, I don't really know if I can comment on that, but what troubles me is this trend that we have seen for outsourcing overseas. Um, you know, we've seen outsourcing going on for years. That is nothing new in healthcare. We know that, especially with coding. A lot of healthcare providers, you know, they have vendors helping them out. They're an extension of their coding staff. Um, but what I've been seeing with stuff going overseas where now, hospitals, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this because you're out there in the trenches and you interact with a lot of coders, that whole hospital departments are now being put overseas 
And that just like boggles the mind when I have people emailing me saying, Stacy, do you have any openings for IR coders? You know, I'm not going to have a job here. You know, all the coding is like going offshore. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like it's something that I didn't think that I would see like to that extent. Um, you know, kind of talking about my industry, you know, like a little bit, I'll, I'll you know, talk about the evolution, you know, of this here. So when I first, because it has really impacted radiology, and I'll kind of walk through how I've adapted to this and how things have evolved in my business. So like I said, I've been working in radiology since about 2000, and I started working for the other company, Southeast Radiology Management. That was the billing company. We were also a consulting company in 2005. And at that time in 2005, we did a lot of backlog projects for diagnostic radiology coding, um, you know, did, did a lot of that work. It was very lucrative work around that time. And what happened is that was around the time in 2005 where they were starting to come out with the computer-assisted coding, and it was starting to gain momentum, particularly in radiology. Why is that? Because radiology reports in diagnostic radiology, I'm not talking interventional right now, they're very redundant. It's templated and they're very redundant. So natural language processing can be very effective. So we had CAC that was cutting into that kind of work from the vendor perspective, um, even on the job perspective, you know, because what we noticed, we implemented CAC in our practice. It made sense for efficiency. We're working, you know, with clients that it doubled productivity using CAC. So you don't need as many coders. So what happened with people is they would sometimes shift coders to do other things, you know, and give them other work. So we had CAC going, and then we started to see over the next several years a trend of diagnostic radiology coding going offshore. This has been going on for a long time for diagnostic radiology. And so let's see, I probably did diagnostic radiology coding on an outsourced basis until probably beginning of 2012. And then after that, I would get like the occasional backlog project, but it pretty much had dried up because not only do we have CAC, now if it's not CAC, a good portion of it is overseas. So that took a huge chunk of my business and revenue, and it was just like gone, like pretty abruptly. Um, so thankfully, in 2007, I decided to jump on the interventional radiology train and like run with that. Um, you know, I didn't know that that segment was going to dry up so quickly. Um, over here, but it did, and I was glad that I had the interventional radiology to fall back on. And the only reason why I pursued it, I'll be honest with everybody listening, because I always tell people this when they're, they want to learn IR, or they're like, oh, I don't know, it's too hard. I'm like, I had a mental block to it forever. I did. I didn't want to learn it. And then I saw such a demand for it, and then I'm like, I just have to suck it up and do it. So I forced myself to like learn IR coding against my will. But it was the best thing that I ever could have done um, you know, in hindsight. And then once, I, once you get the hang of it, it's not that bad. It's just getting over about the initial year or so. I tell people to be a good IR coder and really start feeling comfortable, you're looking at about a year. So anyway, thankfully, by having that other skill, not just because I've, I've been a niche person for a long time, and there are advantages to being in a niche, and there are disadvantages to being in a niche. Because the problem is when your niche starts to go away, what the heck do you do? Because HIM, you know, you've been in this enough years to see that it's become highly specialized in so many areas. 
and everybody wants you to have experience in that area that they're looking for. Um, so, you know, anyway, I started getting into the interventional radiology. So my industry was affected by my niche, by the offshoring, well before you started seeing it with other things and affected by technology. So that's still my concern when I hear of people who have 10, 15 years of coding experience here in the United States that cannot find jobs. I mean, that's just a general concern that I have, not just my niche, but across the board. That is mind-boggling to me that it's happening so quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, I think I have somebody that in mind um, to talk about offshoring, but I think, you know, the biggest issue in offshoring is, you know, I always not, you know, I don't look at it from the, from the international perspective, but the people who make the decision to do it, you know, and unfortunately I've always been taught healthcare is a business. Business is driven by revenues. And then when you look at the bottom line, you know, that's what it is. So, you know, one thing, I guess there is, I, I wouldn't want to say that there is a solution to it, but I think there's a way of kind of saying, hey, uh, where is the true value? You know, there is value in U.S. coding. Um, there mm-hmm. is value in the market that we have here. Uh, and, you know, you kind of have to see what the perspective is. You know, is it truly uh, looking at it to save money? And then there's always the opposite side. You know, do you want to save money or do you, do you want to have quality? You know, uh, they right. can say, you know, there was one, we had a, had a previous guest, um, uh, Glenn Krause, um, and he mentioned that, um, you know, a good question to ask CFOs is, well, goodness, you, you're getting a lot of money, but out of all of that money, how much of it is going in your pocket? You know, so, you know, you have to look at it from a qualitative perspective. And that's something that I think we need to drill, you know, the industry, us, everybody, you know, hey, look, health administrators, the people that make these decisions to to do that type of thing. You know, you have to really look at it from two ways. Either you want to save money or you want to have good quality, which in the end will make you good money. You know, other, you know, if you're looking at it from the bottom end, I, I mean, if I had to choose one or the other, I would rather have good quality, which ultimately in healthcare, uh, having quality healthcare uh, is definitely important, especially for patient safety. Right. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, there's a, a co- there's a cost to every business decision, you know, and, and it could be that it's going to cost, you know, places money in the long run, you know, running into issues. But from what I've heard from people is that over the years, the overseas quality has improved. And so they, it, it, it's still, in some places, it's not what it should be. But they feel comfortable that it's worth it to push a lot of things overseas and then have people here audit or do, you know, more complex things. Like, they're very selective about, like, what you know, they keep, you know, for someone to do here. So I know some coders go into, like, panic mode, you know, like, about this. And they're like, well, what does that mean? Are there going to be any coding jobs? And I'm like, if you have, you know, good, solid coding skills and you know your stuff, you can always find work because those skills can be used in so many ways, you know, within this field. I mean, you're in clinical documentation improvement. You know, that's a big area. Um, you know, people can do auditing, they can do education. I mean, honestly, my focus now, I used to make a lot of money off of like, you know, outsourced coding. I don't really make that much anymore off of that. I make my money off of doing, you know, audits and then doing education. Those are my main two sources 
of income. And so I have had to intentionally shift my business model over the past two years to adjust for that where I can still, you know, have a business, have a successful business using my skills, and coders who are sitting out there working out have to do the same thing. It's like you just need to think about how you can take your skills and use them in another direction should you be one of those people who finds yourself in a situation where they come and tell you, you know, we're outsourcing the department. So I don't think people should get into a panic and get nervous over it. They just need to be forward-thinking about, you know, what are some other ways that I can use my skills? Because I would always tell my students, I actually was an adjunct instructor at Indian River um, Community College, you know, several years ago, and I used to tell them, I said, if you can, I said, I know this is, like, super hard to get a coding job without experience. I said, but I will tell you this. I'm like, if I could give advice to any student about an entry-level job in HIM, I'm like, if you can get your foot in the door and code right away, do it because that skill will always serve you well because that is something that a lot of people don't have. It is like such, you know, its own little, you know, entity there. And I'm like, you can use that in any area of HIM if you have coding knowledge. I mean, one of the things that people liked about me, like when I was a corporate compliance officer, how many corporate compliance officers know anything about coding? They don't know anything about coding. You know, I was the coding expert and the corporate compliance officer. That was an amazing combination. I mean, thankfully, I worked somewhere where they didn't require you to be a lawyer, you know, to be a corporate compliance officer. I reported to an attorney, um, you know, and we had outside counsel. I didn't have to be it, but that was, you know, I understood all that. And the person who had been corporate compliance officer before me, she's like, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to know this, Stacy, and I can rely on you because she was clueless about coding. So I brought that to that role. So it just creates a lot of value. Even if you're not sitting in coding records day in and day out, there's so much value in having, you know, that coding knowledge and coding experience and taking it into some other aspect of HIM. Now, there's a couple of things I didn't want to say. Well, first of all, you know, HIM, you know, the, you know, I, I know there's other people aside from just HIM, medical coding, CDI. I'm sure there's health administrators that listen to this podcast. You know, one thing that you have to understand with health information management is that we encompass such a wide aspect of healthcare, not just the clinic. We connect the clinical part, but also the revenue part, the corporate compliance, the quality, the IT. We're all just this one nice little uh, conglomerate <laughs> of everything in healthcare, yeah. and I think people tend to not realize that. And you know, when they hear, "Oh, I'm, I'm a health information management," or "I have an RHIA or RHIT," well, you do medical records. I said, "No, that's not yeah. what our education uh, was based on. We had training in every facet." of healthcare, not just, I mean, we didn't do any clinical perspective. I mean, we did have clinical classes, but we didn't have any hands-on. Uh, we did have, we even dabbled in health services administration. We did have management classes. We had uh, corporate compliance classes. You know, these are the things that are all integrated into a health information technology program. So, you know, for those who don't know what HIT is, I, I you know, talk to one of us or, you know, shoot, just be on the podcast. <laughs> I'll help you out with that. Um, another thing that that I did want to say is, you know, it, it, back going back to the, you know, the offshoring and worrying about not having a job. 
I mean, at that point, you say move forward. I also say don't be stagnant. Uh, don't yeah. be flat-footed. Uh, get ready to move when the industry moves. And I've always promoted that, hey, you have to stay on top of healthcare. Wherever the direction that healthcare goes, you need to follow. So you just can't base it upon, well, you know, I'm just going to be a medical coder. That's fine. But, you know, what area in medical coding would you want to be? Or even for those that are, you know, the HIT folks, you know, what area in healthcare that is relatable to health information, health information technology that you can go to? You just can't stay stagnant. Another thing, too, is you always have to constantly prove yourself. You know, you just can't, it's not a given. You know, it's not like we're entitled uh, to have a job because we finished school and we have a credential. You have to, after that point, really prove yourself. And that stands yourself out there. By, by, you know, by, by all means, you have to stay competitive. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, you know, people think, well, you know, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this money and blah, blah, you know, it's not going to work that way. You're going to have to do some work, show who you are, how are you better than the next person? And that will lead you to, you know, better, uh, you know, uh, success in your career. Now, the next question I did want to ask, I mean, you may, (laughs) you're just going on and on and on. I want to thank Stacy for being a guest on today's podcast. We will continue part two of our conversation next week on Monday. In the meantime, Stacy has hooked you up, the listeners, with a special offer. She's offering 20% off all 2018 resources from radx.com. That includes, and you could choose any one of them, the 2018 Interventional and Diagnostic Coding Update, the 2018 edition of Cracking the IR Code, your comprehensive guide to mastering interventional radiology coding, and 20% off her 2018 class, Mastering Interventional Radiology and Cardiology Coding, comprehensive online education program. She currently has a campaign running through the end of October, but for not elsewhere classified listeners, you can use the promo code GEEK20 when you go to shop dot radrx.com but our limited time offer will be extended through november 30th 2017 again you can apply the code geek 20 that's g-e-e-k 20 by going to shop.radrx.com not elsewhere classified is presented and produced by medical coding geek Music was brought to you by 43 and Coyote Hearing. Medical Coding Geek offers tutoring and media services for the medical coding, health information, and CDI community. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MED Coding Geek. That's MED Coding Geek. You can also find us on our website, medicalcodinggeek.com, where you can find and listen to all the podcast episodes plus the show notes from today. Make sure to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. We would definitely appreciate it. And again, Thank you for being part of this podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kui, and you have just listened to Not Elsewhere Classified. MedicalCodingGeek.com This podcast is supported by Weebly.com. Have a product? Building a company? You'll need a website. Create your site with Weebly's drag-and-drop website builder and responsive themes without any technical experience. Believe me, I built my website in under 30 minutes. It really is that easy. Listeners of this podcast will receive a 10% discount on any Weebly subscription plan or promote plan. To get this discount, go to Weebly, that's W-E-E-B-L-Y dot medicalcodinggeek.com. Again, that's Weebly dot medicalcodinggeek.com.